Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work, and you can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website, historycentral.com. We'll also visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, and Dr. Lee Gross, president of Doctors for Patient Care Foundation and owner of Epiphany Health, uh, we'll be talking about uh, uh, single-payer systems and, well, things that really are proving themselves not to be so desirable. It is May the 1st, and on this day in 1931, President Herbert Hoover officially dedicated New York City's Empire State Building, pressing a button from the White House that turned on the building's lights, of course, it was a symbolic gesture. While the president remained in Washington, D.C., some else, someone else flicked the switch in New York. The idea for the Empire State Building is said to have been born of a competition between Walter Chrysler and Chrysler Corporation and John Jacob Raskob of General Motors to see who could erect the uh, taller building. Chrysler had already begun work on the famous Chrysler Building, a gleaming 1,046-foot skyscraper in midtown Manhattan. Not to be bested, Raskob assembled a group of well-known investors, including former New York Governor Alfred E. Smith. The group uh, chose the architecture from Shreve, Lamb, and Harmon Associates to design the building. The Art Deco plan said to have been based in large part on the look of a pencil uh, were uh, also builder-friendly. The entire building went up in just over a year under budget at $40 million and well ahead of schedule. During the certain periods of building, the uh, frame grew as astonishingly four and a half stories per week. At the time of completion, the Empire State Building at 102 stories and 1,250 feet or 1,454 feet to the top of the lightning rod was the world's tallest skyscraper. The Depression-era construction employed as many as 3,400 workers on a single day, most of whom received an excellent paid pay rate, especially given the economic conditions of the time. The new building imbued New York City's with a deep uh, pride and sense of pride, despite being in the depths of a Great Depression, with many city residents were unemployed and prospects looked pretty bleak. The grip of the Depression on New York's economy was still evident a year later, however, when only 25% of the Empire State's offices had been rented. In 1972, the Empire State Building lost its title as the world's tallest building in New York's uh, Trade Center which itself was the tallest built, uh, skyscraper for, for but a year. Today, the honor belongs to Dubai's uh, Khalifa Tower, which soars 2,716 feet to the sky. What is that? Uh, almost, that's more than a half a mile <laughs> into the sky. What a building. Uh, unbelievable uh, feat. Empire State Building completed on this day. 
Well, the uh, Florida House passed an election overhaul bill Friday, 76 to 34, and addresses changes to election laws, including voter registration, public records exemptions, and includes a clarification to the resign to run law. The bill now heads to the governor's desk. The bill includes a change that exempts office holders seeking the position of U.S. president or vice president from the state's resign to law rule. Uh, If Governor Ron DeSantis seeks the office of president, the passing of this bill means he would not need to resign as governor if he wins the 2024 election and is inaugurated in 2025. And and he would, of course, resign uh, when he wins the election, if he did. Salzman said that Florida is the only one of five states in the union that has a resign-to-run provision. The bill provides mandatory formal formal signature matching, training to supervisors of elections and county canvassing board members. It also requires supervisors of elections to coordinate uh, with their local clerk of court to receive updates on people convicted of felonies. There are other election integrity provisions in the bill that are, uh, look pretty great, that look, uh, are going to be really helpful. If I'm a betting man, I think uh, DeSantis is not going to end up uh, winning the presidential nomination. Just my guess. Well, cigarette smoking uh, hit a record low in the United States. Just one in nine Americans smoked cigarettes last year. A record low, according to the uh, CDC, compared to 1960s when 42% of U.S. adults smoked cigarettes. It's a dramatic drop that reflects greater awareness of the health risks of smoking and economic hurdles like cigarette taxes. But Americans have given up uh, uh, their nicotine addiction. Uh, They haven't entirely. Vaping rose to almost 6% last year, and 14% of teens reported using e-cigarettes in another CDC study. But good news, people are cutting back on the smoking. That's very good. Fox News Channel's primetime rating has been in a free fall since the cable TV network fired host Tucker Carlson. Monday um, show, Brian Kilmeade took Carlson's uh, 8 p.m. slot last week as primetime viewership dropped by a reported 56%, according to Nielsen Company. The immensely popular Carlson was fired in the aftermath of the Dominion Voting System's defamation suit against the conservative cable TV channel, in which some of Carlson's Carlson's, uh, internal emails and texts took center stage. Uh, uh, 30-year-old Jones will host the rebranded Fox News Tonight show. I don't know if that's a permanent thing or not. I thought they're going to rotate host, but... uh, I think he's a pretty smart guy, and uh, of course, I don't think he's going to garner the following that uh, that Carlson had. Regulators announced early Monday morning, that's this morning, that they seized First Republican Bank and sold its deposits to J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, making the San Francisco-based bank the second largest financial institution to collapse in U.S. history. The California Department of Financial Protection and Innovation said it appointed the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation as receiver of the bank, and the federal agency accepted a bid from J.P. Morgan to assume all of First Republic's deposits, including its uninsured deposits. As of April 13, 2023, First Republic had $229.1 billion in assets and approximately $103.9 billion in deposits. First Republic is the third major U.S. bank to collapse in less than two months following the failure, of course, of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank in early March. Before the collapse of First Republic, the title of second largest U.S. bank collapse went to SVP, 
and then had roughly 212 billion in assets. So First Republic, now part of J.P. Morgan, uh, the big get bigger. Well, Strategis has crunched the brand new IRS income migration data for 2020 and 2021. Florida gained a staggering $63 billion in income from migration in two years, a more than 5% boost in state personal income. Texas was second biggest state income gainer at $17 billion. The losers, of course, are who you might expect, California, New York, and Illinois. Manhattan also lost $31 billion in income. Chasing away high-income residents has also chased away state tax revenue. People are voting with their feet and taking their money with them. Uh, I don't know why they continue with the policies that do this, but it's exactly what's happening right now. And, of course, uh, Floridians are gaining as a consequence. Well, Judge Michael Noble says he will appoint a special prosecutor to create a contempt case against St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kimberly Gardner, a progressive prosecutor whose election re-election campaigns have been supported by Democrat mega-donor George Soros. The judge said last week that the special prosecutor is being appointed because Gardner, Gardner and Assistant Christopher, uh, Christopher DeSellis failed to show up to court for an assault case. The judge also said that evidence suggested they could have committed indirect criminal contempt because DeSellis did not appear for a trial or a later hearing, it appears Ms. Gardner has complete indifference and a conscious disregard for the judicial process, Noble said. How sad indeed. <clears throat> and finally, this is uh, so important, and it's shocking and alarming, and I just don't understand why there's not more attention paid to this, but real science, scientific uh, uh, out- s- site, 1,844 athletic cardiac arrests are serious injuries, t- issues, 1,277 of them dead since COVID injection. Now, it's definitely not normal for so many mainly young athletes to suffer from cardiac arrest or to die while playing their sport, but this year it's happening. Many of these heart issues and deaths come shortly after they got a COVID vaccine. While it's possible they can happen to people who did not get a COVID vaccine, the sheer numbers of clearly point to the only obvious cause. The so-called health professionals running the COVID vaccine programs around the world keep repeating that COVID vaccine is a normal vaccine and it is safe and effective. In response to their pronouncement, here is a non-exhaustive and continuously growing list of mainly young athletes who had major medical issues in 2021 and 2022 after receiving one or more COVID vaccines. Initially, many of these were not reported. We know that many people were told not to tell anyone about their adverse reactions and the media was not reporting them. They started happening and ramping up for the first round of COVID vaccinations. The mainstream media still are not reporting most, but sports news cannot ignore the fact that soccer players and other stars collapse in the middle of a game uh, due to a sudden cardiac arrest. Many of those die, 69.4%, as of December 31st, 2022. We also note that uh, many posts in Facebook, Instagram, Twitter forums, and other stories are being removed. So now we are receiving some messages saying there is no proof of or event of the event or vaccination status. That's partly because this information is being hidden. What are they trying to hide and why is this happening? But it's evident, it's obvious that it's happening because you read about these sudden deaths all the time. 
More people are uh, writing to tell us that they, in many cases, we didn't mention a person's vaccination status. There's a great, good reason for that. None of the clubs want to reveal this information. None of the sponsors want to reveal it. The players have been told not to reveal it. Most of their relatives will not mention it. None of the media are asking the question, so what, what should we do? Stop this now? No, we should collect as much information as we can while it's still available because eventually more information will come out and we will be here to put it together. Will it mean anything? Well, that we don't know, they said. Uh, what we do know is that there is a concerted worldwide effort to make the information go away so that fact alone tells us that it must be collected, investigated, and saved so other researchers can look at it to see if there's any useful patterns. We really appreciate the athletic named uh, athletes named in this list or their families who have confirmed what happened to them so that the truth can be told. Now, the list is listed. What they've done is they've listed uh, all these athletes, 2,000, what was it, 2,744 athletes listing uh, when they died, the day they died, uh, stories that were released in the paper about those uh, deaths. And uh, so you have lots of good information. It was really startling to see uh, some of the names that were listed, but it's such a shame. I, I encourage you to just Google real science and take a look at the list yourself. It's it's uh, shocking. There's a cover-up going on. I don't know why, uh, but uh, I think it has something to do with this vaccine. Not Well, certainly doesn't have the efficacy that it was uh, touted to have. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. 
Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's, uh, it's, uh, we're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. You should check it out. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. And for our listeners' benefits, you're in Tel Aviv right now, and I'd like to start off with just asking about the activities and what's going on uh, uh, in the in, uh, in in Israel after the revolt against uh, the, I guess it was expansion of uh, executive power in Israel. Right. Well, at the moment, there has been a sort of halt uh, Netanyahu called for a halt for negotiations. He's being pushed by his right wing. There was a demonstration of a couple hundred thousand people uh, supporting this change uh, on Thursday, and then 300,000 people came out Saturday night uh, uh, demonstrating against the change. Uh, at the moment, most people think it's going to be quiet for the next month because um, for the next month the government has to pass a budget because by Israeli law, a budget has to be passed by May 31st. If it's not, the government automatically falls. So Netanyahu certainly doesn't want to do that because the latest opinion polls uh, show him being decisively defeated. And never before, or at least not not in 20 years, have polls been so much against him. Hmm. For the first time, it shows um, former, former Defense Minister Gantz uh, being considered more suitable to be prime minister than Netanyahu, which... This has, literally hasn't happened in 20 years. Wow. So he doesn't want to go to the polls. And um, so we'll see what happens. So interesting. Well, thanks for that update. Uh, let's pick up also on another story that uh, broke, well, I guess it's a couple of weeks now, but the, what's happening in Sudan. Yeah, Sudan, there was... Um, uh, Sudan, there's been this civil war that's been going on between two generals who are fighting over nothing but their own prestige. And I say this with a great deal of cynicism and sadness, because it's terrible when people could die in any sort of war, but at least when it's over some ideology, something, okay. But this is merely two generals whose who's, um, self-esteem is too high, shall we say. Mm-hmm. And that's really what's, what's, what's going on at the moment. And it's really sad, I mean, because people are dying, they can't maintain a ceasefire, and this is all about who's going to be in control. It's not about anything else. There's no ideology. There's nothing else at stake. The United States has now successfully um, led two um, two missions of getting American citizens out of Sudan. What it seems to have they did was they organized road convoys and protected the convoy from above with armed drones. 
So we had armed drones over the convoys in case someone tried to do something, and they escorted the um, they escorted them out of uh, out of out of Sudan, out of Sudan, at least the Sudan city on the on the coast. Yeah, and from there they could leave. This is—is so. is there some sort of ethnic component to this? Because it seems nope. to me that one neighbor f- uh, killing another—it just—it's unbelievable. Nope, there's no ethnic component. There, there is an ethnic fight in Sudan that was going on between South Sudan and North Sudan, <clears throat> but this has no ethnicity at all involved. So purely just, power. Hmm. How, what a shame. So, How's yeah, this affecting indeed. the surrounding countries? Not a lot right now. It's unclear because, again, because there's. Uh, the, the Russians seem to have taken the side of one of the groups, but by and large, because there's no ideology involved, mm-hmm. um, Egypt has been somewhat drawn in because they've had some soldiers in there. But at the you know at the moment, it just seems like a national one of these you know another one of these tragedies that seem to be occurring. Yeah. Also, uh, moving to uh, Paraguay has popped up in the news. What, what's going on there? Paraguay had an election. It's an interesting election. The current conservative government won the election overwhelmingly, and they thought it would be a close race. But of all things, that was the major item in the election campaign was Paraguay's relationship with Taiwan. And the current government has a strong uh, relationship with Taiwan. The uh, insurgents who wanted to take over the government wanted to break that relationship to improve relations with China. And so the conservative... Uh, I'm not sure what conservative means in this in this context, but they considered the conservative party in Paraguay uh, won re-election and won re-election on the uh, with this I call it the slogan or the idea that they're going to maintain close relations with Taiwan. So Taiwan was the big winner in this elections, and it's sort of just interesting side note almost. It is so interesting. It just makes me I'm scratching my head, wondering why Paraguay is so involved in international concerns and politics. I don't have the answer to that question. Paraguay has always been an enigma sitting there in the it's a landlocked country in the middle of South Africa, South America, excuse me. Yeah, interesting. So. Well, I want to talk to you about so many other things, Mark. I'm going to need to take a little break. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with the Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. 
You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And I hope you'll visit the website and get tickets. It's gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Dr. Lee Gross. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of uh, HistoryCenter.com. It's a website great for kids of all ages, including you and I. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So uh, what's going on in Ukraine? Lots of conflicting information right now. Yes, so it seems a couple things are happening. Of course, we've seen two days of missile attacks by the Russians on the Ukrainians. Uh, From what we understand at the moment, the Ukrainians have actually gotten the better uh, have taken a little bit of offensive in the, that city called Bakhmut, which has been under uh, attack now for six months. The Russians haven't been able to conquer it, and supposedly the Rus- the, the Ukrainians have made a minor uh, a minor counteroffensive there and making progress. Uh, but um, the major thing, of course, is everyone's waiting for the major Ukrainian counteroffensive. They've been getting that ready. Uh, integrating as much of the Western material and the armor that they can get, and you know they're they're going to pick the time and place. Obviously, they want to get some sort of tactical surprise. It's very hard in this day and age, mm-hmm. but they're looking both for tactical surprise and uh, we'll see. I mean, it, it, most people think it'll be successful, but you never know. Obviously, warfare is a is a great unknown. So, we learned so, anything uh, from those uh, papers that were revealed by the. Uh, Not really. I mean, yes, we le- we we learned there are some of the issues that exist, and the fact of the matter is that the Ukrainians are suffering losses, and the fact of the matter is that there isn't enough material on the Western side being produced. But, you know, we've discussed this on the show a number of times over the last few months, the problem that the West was not prepared, neither was the Russians, obviously, but the West was not prepared for high-intensity warfare like this and is having a hard time producing enough armaments I'm not even talking about the tanks, etc. I'm talking about just pure, purely the shells and everything mm-hmm. else um, for this. And uh, obviously, the people working as hard as they can. The U.S. is now expanding its industrial base for, for producing these items, which is a good thing, I guess. And uh, again, we have the issue of needing to provide arms to Taiwan at the same time, and also maintaining U.S. readiness. One of the things that's happened, for instance, which is an interesting thing, um, the army. Um, was expected to have some really diff- difficult budget dif- uh, difficulties this year in terms of its plans for uh, new equipment. And what's happened instead is the Army has basically been giving all of its older equipment um, to the Ukrainians and the money that then, you know, giving it for quote-unquote free, but it's part of the money that's budgeted for supporting Ukraine. And that money is being spent to buy new equipment for, to replace the equipment being given to the U.S., given to the Ukrainians. 
So the end result is the U.S. Army is getting a lot of new equipment, you know, new equipment, more modern equipment, while giving all of its current stock to the Ukrainians. So, so interesting, Mark. An interesting that, side effect. Now, and now I wish I'd made a note about this, but I had read that uh, some of the equipment the Ukrainians have received now uh, is so old that it can't, it doesn't work. And I've forgotten which country this is from, but uh, are you aware of that? I've heard of one or two cases like that, but again, uh, uh, look, it, it, it's an overall problem. No one is producing new equipment at the rate the Ukrainians need, right? In other words, if the U.S. was to order new, you know, brand new tanks for the sake of argument right now, mm. it would take a couple of years to receive them. Yes. So obviously everybody is basically giving as much as they can out of their own stock of equipment while maintaining their own forces. I mean, you can't give away everything. Right. And so it's an interesting balance. And, of course, production of equipment is being increased rapidly. And as we discussed previously, you know, one of the biggest problems is that the United States allowed two main companies to become the, the you know, a dual, duopoly in terms of military uh, hardware and technology. And that's always a problem because, A, you know, their whole goal of these companies, of course, is always to maximize their profits, which doesn't necessarily mean keeping spare capacity. Right. The U.S. Army or Navy needs it. It doesn't mean if there are only two companies doing it, it doesn't always mean maintaining the highest standards of research for new products either. So it's a challenge. It is indeed. Um, so but go ahead, Mark. The end result is the U.S. Armed Forces will be better equipped when all this ends. Which is a good thing, for sure. Because we we have China looming in the background, and of course the the whole concern about Taiwan versus uh, 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 Russia, China, all that that whole thing is is still hanging hanging in the balance, and it's a big concern. Right, absolutely. So let's move to uh, uh, France. What's happened in France? So France, it's an interesting thing. Their their credit rating has gone down, believe it or not, because of the, all the. Uh, political uncertainty that's been created over this whole issue of of increasing the um, the retirement age. I mean, it's, to Americans, it almost seems laughable, quite honestly. I mean, yeah. they want to increase the retirement age from 62 to 64. I mean, uh, well, why would that be a problem, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's you know, in the United States, we're talking about raising it beyond the age of 68 because, listen, if people live longer, although the last couple of years that's the U.S. Um, Life expectancy has gone down, but that's a different story. Right. But generally speaking, the um, life expectancy has gone up, and therefore the question is when when do you need to retire? When should you retire? And sometimes they're the same thing. Sometimes they're not. People are also remaining fitter longer. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I, I'm the age of my grandfather, basically, when closer he died. He was a relatively an old man, he seemed to me back then, but not only perceptions, I mean, I'm much, much more active and working and doing much more than my grandfather did at this age. Sure. It's so, a, but it's what a cultural difference between the United States and, and France, for example, that made the expectation that they're going to retire. I remember my dad telling me how the great things are in France. <laughs> because, right. No, there's, listen, I mean, the great, thing, the great things in leisure are French, right? Yeah. I mean, that's... The, the four weeks off when the whole country closes for July, uh, the afternoon, you know, they know how to live. Now, maybe they know, got, got it right. What can I tell you? You know, maybe they have it right. Maybe it's not, maybe it's better not to be quite so rich, quote unquote, and live a better life. That's a whole other story, right? Well, maybe, but is, this is all driven by financial concern, isn't it? Or are there other issues? The major thing is financial concern. The age issue is, is major, major, is mostly a financial and also, you know, a, a lack of workers. We have a worldwide problem 
um, that really exists because almost every um, almost every advanced country in the world, uh, with the exception actually of Israel, which is a whole other story, um, has have a birth rate that's uh, below replacement. Right. And um, even the United States has dropped dropped at this point because of lower immigration during a couple of the last couple of years. And um, if it wasn't for immigration in the United States, the United States would be in the same problem of, of Europe and Japan and now China. Right. So when you have less and less people working, you have two problems. Number one, they have to support the people who are retired, and therefore they better retire a little bit older. But B, you need the hands that are working. You know? I mean, you need those people until... Uh, AI and robots take it over, and then it's a different world altogether. Uh, we need working hands, whether it's working in the, whether it's working in a restaurant, or whether it's working in the factory, or whether it's working in Wall Street. Uh, you mentioned AI. So, it's, to me, it's just so ironic with the uh, uh, Screenwriters Guild is, wants to go on strike right now at a time where AI seems to be a perfect replacement for these folks. For them, yeah, no question. I was I was actually. Reading an article the other day, yesterday, actually, of someone just playing with Chat GTP and asked it to come up with four themes for new Star Trek episodes. Yeah. And it literally, you know, looked at all the different episodes previously and looked at the ones that were popular and looked at the themes and looked at the themes of other movies and whatever else and came up with, with four themes uh, for a new episode of Star Trek. And I'll make you a bet if you probably could have gotten it to write the script, too. Yeah. Amazing, but, just, but, but you know that's very frightening. Well, it uh, is. And I, the last time there was a screenwriter's uh, uh, strike, uh, it made a major difference. All of a sudden, you saw more talking heads, less programming, including you know my uh, my little uh, Margie. I mean, it used to be that you had programs on that had uh, you know stories, but now uh, they're just cutting costs like crazy. I have a feeling that this is going to be the death knell of the screenwriters guild. Probably, I don't know. It's but it's a complicated world for them because the whole question of who owns whose rights gets all complicated these days with oh, all does. the streaming services and everything else. So it does indeed. So, Everyone's trying to figure out how to make a. You know, the the problem is everybody's trying to make a figure out how to make a living in a very rapidly changing world. And you know, let's take this to a different level. Some of the problems in U.S. politics and politics generally in the world is partly a result. Of that, of, of people not being sure with what their place in in the world as things change so rapidly, what skill sets they need, whether they've been outdated. Um, these are all complicated issues that have multiple social and political impacts. You're absolutely right. I mean, I'm just the uh, the whole notion of creating a podcast. We're seeing the popularity of cable news going down and down and down, and uh, was the the expansion of podcasts like this one, and of course many many others. That are expanding. Right, but then the question becomes right. But what ends up happening? I mean, it's great on one level, but it's terrible on the other level, right? Mm. In other words, every one of us is getting its, their own subset of news or information on a subset of uh, of issues. And you know, we were a lot healthier as a nation when we would all sit down every night and watch, listen to Walter Cronkite or or Brink, Brinkley and uh, what was it? Uh, Hunt. Brinkley, Hunter, and, Brinkley? Yeah. Hunter Brinkley, right? Yeah, uh, we were a much better nation because, leaving aside whether whether we're covering everything or not, we all started with the same base of information. I think that's what we wanted to do with it. What we believed about it. What we, you know, we were right wing, left wing, whatever. 
okay, that, that, that was individual, but we all started with the same basic information every night. That is such an important point, because uh, it's just so unbelievable how fractured the information is right now, and it's no wonder that there's uh, such a divide in uh, in America right now, so many strong feelings one way or the other, based on, I think, probably the news outlets that people watch affects how they think about things. Absolutely. And, you know, news outlets, leave aside the bias of some news outlets, it's more, it's more even the self-selection that we select things that we like hearing, yeah. uh, which is always not so good, to say the least. Yeah. And we don't listen to anything else. And, and we also we get a very narrow focus, because often we only listen, let's say, let's say we get our news from podcasts for the sake of argument, right? Yeah. We only listen to those podcasts that interest us. Right. But that's not necessarily the podcast that cover the most, you know, you cover the most broad information that you should know, just because, you know, they interest me, or I like the guy who's talking, or whatever it might be. Yeah, exactly. Before I let you go with uh, Mark, uh, Germany's been in the news. Uh, can you give us some right. information? It's an interesting thing that's happening in Germany. They're oh, they're opening up some of their old mines that were they were producing rare uh, rare earth uh, minerals, mm -hmm. and those mines were uh, closed twenty thirty years ago because they weren't um, they weren't competitive with the the minerals that were coming from China. But everyone realized that they don't want to be dependent on on the Chinese. So in one of the mines, for instance, they're opening that's been closed for twenty eight years. We'll be able to provide, I forgot the name of the mineral, but we're able to provide 35% of the needs of the EU for the next 100 years. Wow. So, you know, there were a lot of things that happened in the world that happened only because of economics, right? And there right. was a decision to close a mine is an economic decision, generally speaking. Yeah. But when you add in the strategic aspect of it, and you don't want to be dependent on whether it's Russia or China or somebody else, uh, then it becomes a whole other issue. And therein lies another complication in our life, right? In other words, the philosophy of the government should have the least to do with you know the economy, right? Yeah. But on the other hand, if we want to have a mine like that operating, obviously somebody's going to have to subsidize that mine or re reduce regulations and. Uh, well, but the, let's uh, let, let's assume that the, the cost. You know, listen. I'm sorry. The the German miner, I'm sure, makes ten times the salary of the Chinese miner. Yeah, yeah, that's right too. Well, Mark, I really appreciate your commentary here on the show. It's been, been so interesting. I really appreciate you joining us. And I just refer our listeners to HistoryCentral.com. I hope you check it out. Mark, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Have a great week, Bob. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University.
you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees, I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform, and I hope you'll check it out. The website is choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Dr. Lee Gross. Right now we have with us Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. Larry, can you tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education? Okay. We are a private, nonprofit educational organization headquartered in Atlanta, and our focus is on educating and inspiring young people of high school and college age in ideas of individual liberty, free enterprise, entrepreneurship, limited government, and personal character. We do that through our website, which is fee.org where you'll find daily fresh commentary and video and full-blown courses, but also through our events that we hold on campuses at high schools and colleges all over the country. Well, I'm a real supporter. I, the, uh, the impact that this organization can have on high school and college-age kids is just really, I think, fantastic. So I hope you'll, if you have somebody in your life that age, I hope you'll introduce them to fee.org. So, Larry, you wrote a piece on Israel. The historic declaration of independence almost didn't happen, at least on time. Maybe you could tell us about it. Okay. Yes, this event happened uh, 75 years ago on May 14. So Israel is about to celebrate its 75th anniversary here in a couple weeks. But uh, the background to it was that in 1948, in the spring, the British mandate over Palestine that had uh, really run the, uh, the area since 1920 was scheduled to end on uh, May 14 at midnight, and the British had sort of had enough of uh, running the area with its uh, periodic violence and, and intractable political controversies. They decided they were just going to leave. And so the big question was, um, what would take the place of the British mandate? And there was talk that a Jewish state might be created, an Arab state might be created, maybe both. Uh, or maybe one of the neighboring Arab countries would just sweep in and take everything. Uh, it was very much up in the air. But on the 14th of May, uh, a few hours before uh, the mandate was to end, uh, David Ben-Gurion, who would later be Israel's first prime minister, and a group of his allies uh, declared um, independence and the creation of a new uh, state of Israel. 
But uh, it almost got derailed because the declaration itself was being typed up at another location across town, and it was one man's job uh, to get that finished copy over to the ceremonies in time by 4 o'clock when the event began because David Ben-Gurion wanted to read from it and show the world that Israel had a declaration of independence. But the guy who was in charge of getting it, the document from one place to the next forgot to arrange his transportation. <laughs> so <laughs> it's rather funny. I mean, he uh, was a founder of something called Socialist Youth yeah. in Palestine. So he believed in central planning, and yet he apparently couldn't plan his own trip across town. But after the declaration was typed up, he took it out into the street and tried to uh, stop any car that would... Uh, uh, listened to him and finally got one. And at first, the rider said, "No, I'm not going to give you a ride." And <laughs> but he talked him into it. And then he found out the driver had no driver's license, and the two of them were speeding across town uh, <laughs> to get uh, to the ceremony on time when they got pulled over by a cop. <laughs> and you know, they, they, the cop could have uh, held him up for quite a while because the guy had no license and he was speeding, but. Uh, they pleaded with the cop to tell him that, uh, hey, we got the Declaration of Independence here, we got to get it over on time to the ceremony. And uh, the cop finally let him go, and they got there one minute to spare. Uh, it's such, a, such an amusing and interesting story. The devil's in the details, isn't it, <laughs> when it comes to planning yeah. something like that. Also, if I'm not mistaken, <clears throat> the whole notion of getting it to the ceremony, I mean, it, was, it was top secret. It's like this is going to be a very upsetting and very controversial move on the part of Ben-Gurion. That's right. The ceremony itself, <laughs> as well as the declaration, had been kept secret because... Uh, you know, there was a danger that uh, terrorists might disrupt uh, the whole thing, or that uh, Arab countries, which it was felt that they this would trigger war sooner or later anyway, right. but it was felt that if they knew that this event was going to happen, that they might stage an invasion uh, to preempt it. Um, but it, it all came off all right. You can imagine, though, if uh, the future prime minister had to say at a ceremony, uh, trust us, we've got a declaration of independence. <laughs> yeah. I just don't know where it is. <laughs> but they announced it, uh, and of course, uh, by the next morning, Israel was at war with the neighboring countries, and that proved to be a 10-month uh, conflict, but it ended in a miraculous Israeli victory, which confirmed the creation of the new state. Amazing story indeed. As I understand it, though, because of uh, the necessity to go to war to protect this newly found state, of Israel, uh, they had the Declaration of Independence, but never created a constitution. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if Israeli history has changed in that regard in recent times, uh, <clears throat> whether they have a, a, a written or unwritten constitution. That's a good point. Yeah. Different, different countries have different uh, forms of a constitution. Well, I think that may have something to do with the brouhaha that's developed in Israel and on the streets with regard to... Uh, uh, Netanyahu's a, a attempt to try and diminish the power of the judicial uh, branch. So, uh, yeah. any, anyhow, what we are so I guess the point is that we are so fortunate to have a written constitution that is, you know, thought through by the founding fathers and created a uh, creating a structure for our for our I'm going to call it republic. Exactly, and uh, I don't think it's a stretch to say that it's the uh, greatest constitution ever written in the history of uh, mankind. It uh, had many people 
from outside this country have so indicated in, in their belief. And in many ways, it's being, it has been copied uh, and uh, emulated by quite a few other countries. Yeah. Again, Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. I encourage you to visit the website, fee.org. Larry, just genuinely appreciate your commentary on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, I'm going to visit with Dr. Lee Gross, president of Doctors for Patient Care Foundation and owner of Epiphany Health. We'll do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They get the politics and know the policy. They prepare newly elected officials and state legislatures to have a winning strategy. The website is thefga.org, thefga.org. We have with us Dr. Lee Gross. He is uh, the president of Doctors for Patient Care and Foundation and owner of Epiphany Health. He also wrote a really interesting column, Don't Bring the Chaos to Our Shores. Dr. Gross, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thanks, Bob. It's good to be here. My pleasure, indeed. Tell us about Epiphany Health. Epiphany Health is a is a direct <clears throat> primary care practice in southwest Florida, not far up the road from, from you down there. Uh, and we uh, see patients on a uh, subscription basis, so it's a flat monthly fee for unlimited care. We're an insurance-free practice, so... Uh, we've been doing that for about 12 years, uh, seeing patients from all over the state of Florida that can't afford routine care through insurance. So interesting. And uh, I guess the model is, we talked about this last week, is that 
you can have a policy that's less, ex much less expensive health insurance policy uh, for catastrophic care for, you know, the big things that might happen in life. But uh, for the most part, you're acting as a primary care physician, offering a lot more coverage and a lot more time with a patient than you'll find in, in uh, insurance covered uh, practices. Absolutely. It's sort of like Netflix. You know, you get a subscription and then you can binge on all your health care needs. <laughs> <laughs> so, it just, so, Dr. Gross, uh, you wrote a column, uh, Don't Bring the Chaos to Our Shores. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, in the past several years, actually over the, the past decade, there's been a big push here in the United States for, for socialized health care, for socialized medicine, mm. uh, for public option that have been, essentially will take over the, uh, the private delivery of health care services in, in the country. And, you know, they're, they're using examples of what's going on in Canada and what's going on in Europe for, for the health care services as, as the panacea of what health care should be in the United States. Uh, and what, what they're not showing is, is the chaos that's going on in, in those systems. And, mm -hmm. and the physicians are striking, and ambulance drivers are striking, and the systems are collapsing. The wait times are astronomical. People are being, being told that they, that they can't have uh, needed services. And so while you know, our system here certainly is not perfect and it certainly you know, has its flaws, it's still probably one of the best care delivery systems in, in, the, or in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And yet, uh, in so many ways, we actually emulated uh, these socialized or single-pay systems, by, which really, I think, creates some of the flaws that we have in our own system. Yeah, I mean, our, our flaws are, are large. Uh, you know, there are definitely gaps in care, and I think they're certainly worthy of, of uh, addressing and closing, you know, some of those gaps. But if you look at something like, you know, when we passed the Affordable Care Act and the massive sweeping changes that that did, now, that was essentially done to only you know, to help 10% of the American population. Mm -hmm. uh, and so such a broad sweeping uh, overreach of, of regulatory uh, changes uh, that has massively changed healthcare delivery. So if you think back about 15 years ago, most primary care doctors were independently owned small businesses, mom and pop shops that took care of patients directly. Fast forward today and almost every primary care practice, and if not almost every doctor in the country, is now either owned by a hospital, owned by some large uh, corporate entity, uh, or they are owned by a private equity firm. And it's all about the, the revenue, it's all about the numbers. Uh, and that's largely driven by over-regulation of these small practices. And so what we try to do in our practice is try to, to uh, restore the independent practice of, of medicine because you know, we're in an era right now where we can, you know, we, we can customize healthcare down to somebody's own DNA. Uh, so we should be uh, striving for, for uh, not mass production, but mass customization of healthcare delivery services. So, how, what's the road to get there? How, how, you know, very appealing to me. How do we get there? Yeah, well, probably a little bit uh, uh, more than you can cover in, in a short radio segment here. But um, I think you know what we're doing is we're starting with with primary care, mm -hmm. as we're saying, you know, if. if you look at the direct interaction between a doctor and a patient, why are we insuring primary care? Why are we inserting so many obstacles and barriers between doctors and patients, filing an insurance claim for every single simple interaction, right. and then we're disappointed that it's the impersonal, it's expensive, it's cumbersome. And so what we've done is we've taken primary care away from third-party insurers. Uh, and we said, you know, let's go ahead and say that you know, 80%, maybe 85% of healthcare delivery in the United States can be, can be handled at the primary care level. So let's split that off. 
Then what we've also done is we've taken uh, predictable ser- predictable services like you know, imaging services and physical therapy and laboratory services and made those affordable for absolutely everybody. And it turns out now that they're starting to develop cash-based surgical services. And in fact, we've actually created cash-based hospitalization services that in almost every situation, it's cheaper to pay cash than to actually use insurance for these things. So we're actually bringing it back and creating the patient as the center of the healthcare universe as opposed to looking at the patient as an ATM that you, that you should look at to try to extract as much money from them as possible. What a great idea. And of course, some of that's made uh, possible by health savings accounts, which I think is a, just a terrific innovation. But it's not uh, available to everybody, are they? No, they, they are not available to everybody. You have to be tied to a certain plan. Uh, and right now, the deductibles on health insurance plans are so high that most health savings accounts are disqualified for, for, for use. Um, many services that, that you would think would be able to be purchased through HSAs can't be purchased through HSAs. And so there's definitely some regulatory work that needs to be done uh, at the at the federal level on, on expanding the, the HSAs. The type of health plans that you can purchase through it is, is, is like a critical change that needs to happen. Uh, so perhaps you can elaborate a little bit more on explain to us how health savings accounts work. Yeah, health savings account is probably one of the best investments that you can make. It's one of the only investment tools uh, in the country that you're not taxed on the money that you put in. You're not taxed on the money that you take out. Uh, so all of your funds grow grow tax free, uh, and they are services that are, you can that you can purchase health plans for, you can purchase medications for, all uh, all without being taxed on it. It's a phenomenal investment, and it can grow, and you can actually even invest the HSA funds. And also be used for things that normally you can't get through insurance, like for example, uh, eyeglasses or dental care or whatever it might be. In other words, uh, it's the the health savings accounts I'm aware of allow a lot more discretion on the part of the patient to make decisions on how to use that that money. Yeah, that's the, the you know the fantastic part about the, the whole concept of HSAs is that nobody spends your money better than you spend your money on yourself. Right. And so you have you have uh, first party transactions, which is you know the patient spending the money on themselves. You know what you want. You know what the value is. Second party transactions is you're buying something for somebody else uh, using your money. So you're buying somebody a birthday present. You know so the the, the cost of something uh, certainly matters, but the quality maybe not so much. And then there's a third-party payer transaction, which is you're buying something for somebody else using somebody else's money. Yeah. That's how our current health care system works. And so in that situation, you don't care about the cost or the quality. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so we try to return this to a first-party transaction where the patient actually controls their dollars, and therefore they are very heavily invested in the cost and quality of the services that they obtain. This is such an important issue, and I think it'd be a real cost savings, making uh, the whole system more patient-centric. It would definitely, in my opinion, drive down costs. I encourage you to take a look at Dr. Gross's column. It's in Real Clear Health. You can uh, visit, go go to realclearhealth.com, and the name of the column is Don't Bring the Chaos to Our Shores. Dr. Gross, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Bob. Have a great day. You as well. Thank you so much. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got great guests for tomorrow's show, including our state senator and state Senate president, Kathleen Pasadomo. Boo Mortensen will be with us. The founder and president of Less Government, Seat Motley, will be with us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, I hope you'll spread the word and tell your friends. 
uh, and uh, way we reward our listeners and our advertisers for supporting the show. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs> <laughs>